0: bring me you're tired you're stressed you're overwhelmed and anxious yearning for some joy in life it's time to go out and play to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier. This week, we're going to be talking with artist Scott Froschauer. And Scott lives at the Brewery Arts Complex here in Los Angeles, which is where I also happen to live. And if there's one thing that I learned from this episode is that I really need to get to know my neighbors better. I I was just stunned going through this conversation with him. So many amazing twists and turns, so many things that I learned about him. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. And our conversation really needed to be this week. It had to be back-to-back with the Global Play Brigade um, episode because we also, in this episode, we'll be talking about play and activism. Now, last week, we talked about play and improv, well, play as improv and activism. And with Scott this week, we're going to talk about art playful art which also has a lot in common with improv um he has he does experiential art so instead of describe it here I'm going to just let him do that in just a few minutes but let me just tell you this conversation is amazing we start off talking about compassion and empathy then we move on to politics and street art and burning man and cacophony society and oh my gosh my head was spinning um in a good way. (laughs) Anyway, your turn. Meet Scott. First of all, you have a very unique, uh, kind of art that you make. And I just, this is, I have to tell you, your bio makes it really hard to interview you on a podcast. So, apparently, your background consists of a structured education in engineering, theoretical linguistics, science, art, computer programming, and business, along with practical experience in fabrication, design, non ordinary reality, experimental narrative, venture capital, counterfeiting, and breathing. Now, that is my favorite mouthful of words. I think I've ever said it once. <laughs>
1: It's a lot. It's, um, uh, it's, there's a tricky word in there, which is, um, experiential narrative.
0: Uh It's not
1: experimental narrative. So there's, it's, (laughs) it's even there, there's some little trip ups in there too.
0: Uh, I love it. (laughs) Well, so, um, beyond that beginning of your bio, tell me a little bit about you and your work and just,
1: um, well, but a lot of my work is about, um, Empathy and compassion. I think a lot of uh, the artwork that people know me for now is um, my uh, public art installations of street signs. Mm -hmm. Um, I fabricate uh, street signs to Department of Transportation spec, but I replace the traditionally narrative uh, of negativity with... positive affirmations and, um, explorations in uh, self-empathy mostly. Mm-hmm. So like a normal street sign would say no left turn or wrong way, you know, these, all these negative sorts of things. Um, I thought about, well, what happens if we replace that with positive language? Cause we're, we're so inundated by that,
0: mm-hmm. right. Yeah. We're
1: inundated, you know, um, it kind of starts with this idea of street art being a counterpoint to marketing Hmm. Um, that, uh, marketing is kind of this omnipresent sort of force in our lives. That's, um, it's invisible because it's so consistently present. Like yeah. we don't even notice it. It's a constant hmm. bombardment. And one of the primary concepts of marketing is this idea of self alienation. And when I say self alienation, it's, um, marketing will say to you, you smell, And then say, buy our deodorant. Mm -hmm. But it starts with this notion of you smell or you're not happy enough or, you know, but uh, informing you of a a lack that you have um, just by your very existence. Mm -hmm. And so um, I kind of term that as uh, Mm self-alienation. So we're surrounded by constant messages of self-alienation, constantly told that we lack something and that these products will fill that void. And so, um, you know, I was exploring street art as a counterpoint to marketing and thinking about, okay, well, how do we um, change that story from one of being continuously surrounded with uh, self-alienation with some other sort of concept? And when I was thinking about street signs, I was thinking, well, street signs work at a really subconscious level, right? You you can be, you know, before you can drive, you already know what a red octagon means. It means stop. Mm -hmm. You already know so it's deeply ingrained that your foot goes to the brake pedal before you actually process that a stop sign says stop, you know, it's, it's reflexive, it's subconscious. So, uh, street signs are working on us that same way with this negative language, but at a subconscious level. So they're digging deep behind our conscious minds and, you know, deploying this negativity on us. So I was like, okay, well, let's use the same fonts, same you know, geometric shapes, use all of these things that are already tied into our subconscious. But instead of delivering a payload of negativity, hijack that and deliver this payload of empathy and, you know, self-awareness or self-soothing, you know, and those sorts of things. Mm
0: -hmm. And when you're talking about marketing and also street signs, you know, things start to become the, our inner voice, like the things we hear the most starts to become our inner voice and everything is a limit. It's a speed limit. Stop. Don't go here. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and the yeah. marketing voices are the most insidious and what you've done is literally take all of the, that and turn it into such a positive inner voice replacement that, yeah, kind of reminds you that maybe you're saying those negative things to yourself all the time too. And,
1: you're subjected to them constantly. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah i think of the the concept of coercion mm-hmm. you know like a stop sign is uh, coercive do not enter is you know coercive and so um i thought about this concept of the difference between coercion and inspiration you mm-hmm. know how does one how is one motivated or you know if and it really it came from working on burning man art mm-hmm. you know we'd work on these huge sculptures with people and when someone came to work on a giant sculpture for Burning Man, they weren't there because they were being coerced. No. They were there through inspiration and watching that process of, you know, what does a group of people produce when they're motivated by inspiration rather than when they're forced to work, you know, to pay the rent or, you know, whatever it is through coercion, the, you know, there's a, there's a different outcome. And so that was part of it too, is this notion of, you know, uh, the street signs are coercive, and how can we turn that into inspiration rather than coercion?
0: Absolutely. And you just had an installation out there. Was it? It was last year, right? Um, I've,
1: I've, I've had I've lots. Had many of, years. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Your most recent. I was looking at some pictures. Sure, last
1: year. Last year would be the most recent. There would be another one this year if there was one this year.
0: Yeah, there's another this year. And speaking <laughs> of that, um, you have had some really cool responses to the pandemic. I know you have, um. You know, you have masks and they have your signs on it, that kind of thing. And you have these BLM stickers or a a graphic that you have put on your website for people to use.
1: Yeah, that's actually um, that actually it doesn't predate the Black Lives Matter movement, but it predates the current um, Mm -hmm. environment. Um, It was uh, it was several years ago um, and it was. Uh, around the the beginning of the the original beginnings of um, the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's um, it's a, a, a black power fist. It's um, uh, Malo Chango is another way to say it, and mm-hmm. then it takes the typical street sign that would say um, something like uh, "dangerous road ahead" or something like that, or "left turn ahead," and it says "resistance ahead." Mm-hmm. And so that was um, I, I, my my work is really um deeply political but it's deeply it's typically deeply political at a um subconscious level mm-hmm. you know i've got this belief that um increasing levels of empathy is an inherently political act so i'm not necessarily usually out there at least with the street signs talking about you know daily politics and so that's that's a piece from years ago that i was i, I was actually kind of I wasn't sure whether or not it fit in with all of the other work I was doing. And um, it got, you know, I displayed it at a couple of different events. Um, But I think there's a, you know, the tenor has changed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's interesting when, you know, things that you might have felt uncomfortable with um, kind of come to the mainstream. And now all of a sudden it's, um, you know, it's appropriate to talk about these kinds of things and it's it's interesting
0: (laughs) yeah it really is and it's funny you use this word political um it it feels like that word has just become this big negative I don't want to get political I don't want to do political Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but political is actually if we could just re reframe the word we can't really get away from it in an interconnected world. And all of those things that are going on on the the inside, on the subconscious level and each individual that sees those signs and experiences whatever they experiences in experience in that moment of, you know, the cognitive dissonance between what the sign looks like and what the sign says, um, it you know, it really is. It really can be. I think political in a good sense. And I wish we could find a way to make language around political around politics mean something good and interconnected. And I don't know if that will ever happen.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. So I was thinking today, I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. Uh And I was thinking, you know, that the, you know, the the concept of play and the concept of creating space for um, creativity Mm -hmm and um you know kind of non-defined space and allowing things to occur and i was thinking about um you know this notion of kind of a a a a storyteller that would be in a village or in a tribe you know these kind of um um some people would call it a shaman you know something like that um and it was this idea of uh having a dream and the, 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 the tribal elders or the village elders or the city elders or whoever they were had to have a, a vision of a future. And there's a, a term I think of, which is called uh dream, the culture forward. Hmm. And this idea that, you know, we're kind of in a moment where we feel, um, it's challenging to imagine what a future looks like, you know, we're kind mm-hmm. of. All in a really, um, a space that's really challenged to even imagine a future, yeah. And it would be someone like the shaman or a village elder or someone who would then come forward and tell a story. You know, they would be storytellers and they would tell a story of a future, and it would come from a dream. And it might be through, um, you know, a, a, a shamanic process, it might be through, you know, a, a vision quest, it could be through all these things. But that's, that's how the cultures moved forward was through this visioning. And hmm. it, to me, it relates to the concept of play. It relates to this, you know, this, this dreaming, this creativity. But I think what's happened is um, that, that's now our, our um, political system and that's our governmental system. They are, we rely on them to dream us forward, you know, out of our present. And I think there's an, there's, you know, it's an interesting relationship we're having. So, you know, when we're talking about politics and we're talking about play, mm-hmm. that I think there's an interesting, you know, intersection of, you know, what is the dream for our future and how how do we embrace our dream for the future? How do our, um, our leaders, whoever that might be, you know, yeah. political or or um, you know, social or whoever they are, you know, how do they um dream us forward from this situation? And I think that's related to play. I think that's related to creativity. That's related to um to intuition um and uh kind of, you know, non-thought. whatever we want to call that
0: or not, not um, productive thought. I mean, productivity and play are kind of the opposites, but it's, it's funny because it's the hardest thing for us to try to figure out how to do as, as adults, we need it to be productive. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess, I guess the hardest part of, of who's dreaming for us is that what is the us in their mind? What is we in their minds? Um, and that's the hardest part right now is to try to Make sure we have a, a government that actually includes everyone. Um, and and we've spent I spent a little time um the last week's episode is going to be is last week's episode is going to be because it's coming out tomorrow and next <laughs> week after. Um, but the episode is with the Global Play Brigade and the two mm-hmm. founders of that and they talk about how improv um kind of teaches the the values of being able to say yes, and to share a space to, to do this active listening, um, with one another, to actually create something new, to create a story. Um, how do you think art can do that kind of thing? I know improv is something a little different, but it's, you know, what do you think of that question?
1: Well, it's, um, it's interesting because I, I, uh, I enjoy all forms of art. So when it said, Mm -hmm. you know, when you read my bio, um, (laughs) you know, um, experiential narrative, is, uh, like improv. Mm -hmm. So you have narrative, which would be like a written narrative would be a book you'd read, but experiential narrative would be like, um, actually like being a burning man is like an experiential narrative. You know, you're just walking through space and you're having this experience and a story is unfolding, you know, as you move through the space. Um, but I think one of the things that, um, that's really important for me that would relate to improv is immediacy. Mm. And, you know, immediacy is, you know, is, Deeply involved in play, it's it's all of these things. Um, you know, th- being present. You know, you talk about being grounded, mm-hmm. um, being in the moment, and that's uh, a core element of my work. is about um, Is about trying to get people to to experience that moment, and that can happen. You know, I, I think of this this concept of like a short circuiting. So when someone sees a sign that they think is a stop sign and they get up next to it and they've been convinced it's a stop sign, it's a red octagon and the first two letters are S <laughs> T, they're convinced and then maybe they just glance over and realize oh it doesn't say stop it says start and to <laughs> me there's a you know there's a disconnect that happens there that it that you know grounds them in the moment because there, there's this, there's this word called the quotidian the quotidian mm-hmm. comes from uh, the situationists and um you know some uh, some of the um some of the avant-garde artists of the uh, early 20th century and the quotidian is this notion of well, it's the everyday in french so mm-hmm. like le pain quotidien is like our everyday bread um but the idea of the quotidian is you know that which you know we don't actually even notice or process mm. so it's you know it's that that walk to work every day or whatever it is that it, you know we just we, we fail to even notice anymore. We just get so ingrained in it that it's, it's kind of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I've got this, um, there's th- this notion that the situation has had, which was called anti-quotidian or counter-quotidian. And it's to then snap you back and get you out of that haze of the everyday and, you know, ground you back in the immediacy of the moment by a spectacle or by some sort of short circuiting that surprises you. And all of a sudden now you're here and you're like, Oh, I'm not normally even here. I'm normally just kind of in a haze moving through my life. Yeah. And now I'm, Oh my God, I'm here in this moment. And, um, that's, you know, that's, I think, uh, a critical component of my work is that, uh, desire for short circuiting and surprise to, to ground you back into the moment. And so I would say, you know, that's, that's, that's how I would relate that to something like improv mm-hmm. because, you know, to me, improv is about, you know, just being super present yeah, and just, you know, and it's, it's, it's about um and, and play is about being super present and it's about, yeah. you know, letting go of the future, letting go of the past. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's critical to my work. And that's something that, you know, I pursue in all sorts of different kinds of work. I mean, a Burning Man, you know, that's, that's something that you're always pursuing all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. that's anybody who's making art out there is attempting to kind of uh, short circuit the reality and, you know, bring people into a present moment with, you know, either something so large that it creates awe and they're, you know, they're shocked into it with that or just that it's so different. that They're like, I've never seen that before or whatever it is, but a lot of it to me has to do with um, how to generate immediacy how to create contact with the moment.
0: Yeah. It's funny the the art out there, my first year that got me the most, the ones that I remembered the most were the smaller, like the phone Mm. booth to God, um, which is the size of a regular old phone booth. And it's just in the middle of a bunch of other things that are around and Mm -hmm. you see the phone booth, like you used to see phone booths because you used to see phone booths. Mm -hmm. And to me, it just, it was one of those things that made me stop for a second and go, wait, hold on. That can't be a real thing. you know, And then it then I got to have the experience of this silly phone booth, but your signs, you know, are also that for me. And I, it just, I, I'm kind of weirdly excited that there's no Burning Man this year in for only one reason. Cause I really wish I could go is that hopefully these kinds of things will suddenly leak out into the world. And oh, yeah. not in an organized fashion—that <laughs> mm-hmm. would be the dream. But your 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 pieces are out there in the regular old world as well. What kind of locations? I mean, do people are people able to stumble upon your pieces or?
1: Oh yeah. So um, yeah, and that's that's you know again that's another one of the best parts of it, right? Yeah. Is somebody who who stumbles on it and doesn't know what they're what they're in for, yeah. and see it from a distance and then. It's surprised that it's not anything like what they thought. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're all over the country. Um, uh, obviously I live in, uh, Los Angeles. So, you know, there's a, there's a high density of them in Southern California just mm-hmm. because that's uh that's easy for me. And um, I have a lot of people who i put them in their front yards and things like that. But also, um, I get grants from, uh, cities. So the city of Glendale, uh, which is right next to LA, Uh, has given me several grants, um, to do many. I think at the moment I probably have upwards of about 20 in parks. Yeah. Throughout, uh, city of Glendale, um, libraries and parks and schools and things like that. Um, but, uh, so all over Southern California, but they're all over the place. Um, Florida, you know, the, uh, Colorado, I just had, um, an opening this weekend, oddly enough. Um, because I didn't go, I actually shipped a bunch (laughs) of work to Toronto. And there are 20 pieces in a place called the distillery district in Toronto, which for those of us in Los Angeles who know the brewery, Mm -hmm. it kind of, it's reminiscent. It's, um, it's a, it's an old distillery, um, that they've bought and put in art galleries and restaurants and shops. And so it's, um, it's a similar sort of by it's to me, I kind of it's like the the brewery meets the grove. <laughs> However, but that's to, funny, to me,
0: but also cool. <laughs> yeah, or, or
1: somebody could be like, eh. but the other part of that is um, the I met a guy at Burning Man last uh-huh. year who was installing a sculpture while I was installing my work, and we just got to talking. We exchanged information, and a few months ago, he emailed me. He said, "Hey, so I'm the curator for this distillery district thing in Toronto."
0: Wow. And
1: I want to put a bunch of your work there. And so I shipped him a bunch of stuff. And then the pictures started coming back on Instagram. And it's like, oh, of course, he knows a bunch of other Burning Man artists. So here's my work next to all of these other pieces that I recognize from Burning Man, you know, epic sculpture, you know, like all of this other stuff oh. in this space. And so that was really inspiring, you know, to to see to see that.
0: Oh. I love it. I really think there should be more of that out there in the world.
1: (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. So much. I'm uh, coming up on time and I I just want to go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I guess this, this time, since we can't go out and we can't leave the house and and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, um, Mm -hmm. you have made it possible to take little pieces of the work. You have your signs on the masks. Um, I was going to sit down with my husband because as I was going through the shop this week, I, uh, (laughs) um, and there are little pins and you can get smaller versions of the signs themselves. They're really pretty, um, on your website.
1: The concept is is that, um, you know, when I, when I do a piece of work, I don't see it as kind of an individual piece of artwork. I kind of see it as part of a larger system. Mm -hmm. And so if someone is interested in the message that's in one of the signs, I, you know, you might not have the ability to have one of them in your front yard or something like that, but I try and create a whole spectrum of possibilities. And so, you know, at the smallest level I do stickers and the stickers are really high quality and they, I've got them on my car and, you know, Mm. that's a, you know, that's a fun way to start. And then, you know, the pins and necklaces and things like that, and then t-shirts and, you know, masks and the smaller signs and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is that it's this, um, You know, to me, the message is, you know, the whole point. And that's why I do it. That's why I put them up in public. And that's why, you know, I did them as street art illegally, you know, for a while. Oh, the the first ones I did were completely illegal.
0: You weren't one of those P You weren't the guy who put up the five freeway sign, are you?
1: He's, he's, he's a little older than us.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: But, but yeah, I mean, he's obviously, uh, someone who I look up to that he did amazing work. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, uh my first works were all illegal. I started out doing stickers of the signs and then mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, what if I could actually just make the signs? And so I make them to the department of transportation spec. And that was my whole thing was if I put it up, maybe people won't even notice it. And so I put one up at the corner of 4th and Bowdry in downtown LA and it lived there for probably six or eight months wow. before it disappeared. And I don't know if like, you know, <laughs> if street services took it down or whoever, but um, you know, that, that's how it all started was I just wanted the message to occur. I just wanted yeah. you know to get that out there. And so now it's like, okay, now I can get cities to you know to pay me for it. now I can actually do it as a job, yeah, and continue forward, you know, making money with it so that then you know I can give them out to people, you know, I put them in front of churches or whatever, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and as I say to them, it's like there are organizations that have money that I get money from, mm-hmm. and then there are. Other organizations or individuals who don't have any money—that's mm-hmm. who, the whole point—is that I can, you know, take from this section to kind of fuel this other
0: section. Awesome, yeah. It's I really like because the the experience is still jarring, even if you're looking at it on a small pin or a necklace, <laughs> you know, because you still see like the one way, the one love one is the one I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, you see it; it looks like a one-way sign until you read it, and it's. it's really powerful really powerful
1: so that one i don't know how close we are to finishing <laughs> but that one is um i just got a contract with city of west hollywood oh. i'm doing um that one love which is the rainbow one love um in neon in the center uh, median of santa monica boulevard in west hollywood
0: oh wow
1: and so that that oh. one yeah, I know, and it's it's oversized. <laughs> awesome. It's it's this gigantic. It's like nine oh. feet high and three feet wide, and it's oh. pointing up. And the the love part blinks like a motel thing because it's all in Great. neon. And then um, I have another one that says "Relax, you are okay." It looks like the um, 101 freeway yeah. sign. And so that one's going to be uh, six feet high and four feet wide, and made of neon. And it rotates. It's like the slow rotation
0: oh, in the. My and
1: they're they're going in the median. Of Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh. So, the, you know, that's the idea is just getting the message out. Where can yeah. I get it? Where can I, you know, who who'll give me the the space? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a street artist, you you just put it you wherever. Take it. Yeah, you just <laughs> take it. Yeah. And it's an interesting, you know, concept of like moving to asking But when you ask, it lasts longer.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: part of the thing I love.
0: And then it gets to, yeah. (laughs) Are you going to be doing any more um, subversive kind of work before the end of this summer for Uh, your Burning Man fun? Or (laughs) uh, should we not know about it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny because, um, you know, Burning Man art has become, uh, you know, with with the show at the Smithsonian. And I I was fortunate enough to have some pieces in this show at the Smithsonian. And then that show traveled to, um, to several other museums, Cincinnati and Oakland. And, you know, there's, um, and then just the, you know, I was, I was at a festival, I had some pieces in a festival in Las Vegas, uh, this past year. And there's, you know, a bunch of Burning Man art, you know, you just start going around and there's just Burning Man art all over the place yeah and it as public art. So, you know, there, there is this subversion that's happening kind of from the inside, you know, which I think, there's a, is, you know, it's, it's obviously, there's a tension there between becoming, you know, part of the system and still remaining, you know, outside of the system. But I think that there's something, um, you know, something amazing about, about Burning Man art, uh, becoming, you know, you know, part of the system, becoming public art, you know, this transition, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think of the transition street art, Burning Man art, public art, and street art and public art are kind of, um, intention with each other right because uh, public art is sanctioned street art is unsanctioned mm-hmm. and so street art has the capacity to say things that public art can't say but public art has the capacity to you know for longevity and to be you know protected and just all these other things and so then burning man kind of occupies this central space between the two where it is you know the black rock city is um, it's as a as a street artist I think about Black Rock City as what would the ideal city look like that actually supported street art. So if you wanted to go, you know, spray paint on a um, billboard in Los Angeles, you'd have to do it clandestinely. You'd have to, you know, it would be, have to be all cloak and dagger and whatever and make that happen. If you get caught, you could get arrested and all those sorts of things. Burning Man, Burning Man gives you cranes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a city designed to support that whatever that crazy vision is, yes, and so it's almost Burning man's almost a city that's designed th- as this as this meeting point between public art and street art. That street art being you know um, ir- you know irreverent, it can be you know anything it wants to be, but public art being supported by the community. Well, Burning Man is that irreverence supported by the community, and uh. so this this thought process of the transition using Burning Man as kind of a gateway mm-hmm. from from street art through Burning Man into public art, that it's, it's kind of the, and it's, you know, they they, they have people at Burning Man that have, you know, they can wear a suit and tie or whatever yep. and can, you know, be all professional <laughs> and, then, and then they can totally, you know, slither in and, yep. and get in there and, you know, again, and I think of delivering payloads, they can deliver the payload of the street art concept into the public art milieu. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, to me, it's it's a year round. Uh, Black Rock City is an amazing event. But, you know, I participate. There's a thing called the U.S. Conference of Mayors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've been I've been lucky enough to be a representative from Burning Man at the U.S. Conference of Mayors for the you past couple of years. Oh, my goodness. It's, and it's um, it's amazing to see, you know, Burning Man has this, you know, this level of involvement, engagement that, you know, there's no other city on the planet that can rival the level of engagement at Burning Man because Burning mm-hmm. Man's just built the way it's built. Yeah. So when you see a mayor from some town in Ohio that's at the conference of mayors listening to us talk about participation Ugh. and talk about engagement, and then they, they, they get, they go, oh, I want to know more. And then we bring them out to the playa and we get to take them on a tour, and they get to see the infrastructure, mm-hmm. and they get to see how we build this city, which boggles their minds, right? It boggles anybody's mind, oh, of course. But like, yeah. <laughs> you take a mayor and a mayor who's used to having to do, de- and they go, "You, you eighty thousand people, and yep. you, you're running it like this, and you, it's you've got the the rangers. We introduce them to the concept of the rangers. We introduce them to you know all of the systems, the radio station, the airport, you know, all, all the the porta potties." <laughs> Mind-boggling, it is. It really, and is. you display that, and then, I mean, I, I well up just thinking about it. I get to, I get to lead them on an art tour, and at night, because for those who don't know, the greatest moment in uh, any Burning Man experience is taking a virgin, someone who's never been to Burning Man before, on their first night. On the playa and they've been in the city before but they've never actually seen what the city looks like at night and you cross the esplanade which is main street and you cross out into the open playa for the first time with a virgin at night and their their minds melt because it's it's, it's incomprehensible so i'm there with 50 mayors and these are mayors who have spent the day seeing all this stuff and then we get to ride on an art car and we come out of the city into the playa and they see the expanse of burning man and they they glaze over and they yeah. just have no system of comprehension. And then we get to take them to the temple and we get to express to them what civic structures can look like that are developed for the expression of grief. Mm-hmm. Because our our cities have no civic structures. I mean, that has to be relegated to things like church, and mm-hmm. this, you yeah. know, th- there are structures for that. But that a city
0: But they're all inclusive. A, it's all inclusive. Yeah. It's
1: a civic structure just for the expression of grief. And you take them there, and they they've never seen anything like it. And mm-hmm. they're mayors and they go, I need this in my city. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how. You made all this happen, but I need this in my city. And so this idea of, you know, for me, Burning Man's 365, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's this thing that is no longer just relegated to the Black Rock City experience. It's something that has, you know, it's broken and scattered and it's insinuating its way in, you know, across the planet in all of these different levels, right. From, you know, burners who go, you know, to their hometown and do something goofy and open up a coffee shop or, you know, what, or a bike rental or who knows what, or some fantastic thing in there. But then up, and then they might run for city council at some point. Yep. Yeah. And now they're doing this. And then, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's engaging it uh, at so many levels and, I don't
0: you know. No, it's I'm, it's important. I, it's it's amazing. No, it's important to conversation, especially um with when it comes to Burning Man. I try I was an RC for a little while. Um mm-hmm. and kind of went through a lot of hoops to get there and all this stuff. But then when I kind of realized plus it was a time of great transition for me, so I didn't um I decided to step step down. But what I really wish There was more of is that there's kind of an allocation of we're going to do this many events we do these things there's kind of already of a a set thing and it's having these amazing events like amazing equinox you know Mm -hmm. the decompression all the things that we do um but i just desperately wanted to try and see what's out there on the subversive side of things on the, mm. on the a little bit outside of the norm. I loved, um, Derek and Vanessa, uh, this couple of friend of ours, they do this thing called the hippos. They've done it. At, um, mm. They did it. It started as sort of a, a, just a experimental piece that people would walk into this little place that looked like an office like a waiting room just to see how mm-hmm. long people would wait things like that those are the things i kind of wish were out in the streets like when mm-hmm. i see your signs like those are some of the things i'd like to them to be experiment experiential i'd like them to have a little more of that improv thing um, of course the hippos went to twice went to um coachella coachella word yeah. that somehow i couldn't remember um, <laughs> but you know like i just i just i love that kind of thing and i kind mm-hmm. of wished that there would be even just like costumes costume trash pickups or just things anything mm-hmm anything. I don't know. I just keep thinking, what more could we do? And I, yeah. yeah
1: and so that's, to me, that's Cacophony Society.
0: Yes. I'm, I'm, so, I got in yeah, touch with that all the way too late.
1: So- oh, come on. It's, so I'm, I'm, I'm a member of LA Cacophony Society. You are? And there's, oh, sure. So, you know, there's, there's SantaCon, you know, which is the, the most obvious highest profile thing, but there are tons of other events. We did a thing years ago called the night market and the oh, night yes, market, I went. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that was, you know, that was a cacophony society. Um, We invited them down and kind of gave them the structure for that. But, um, there, so that to me, that's a perfect example. The night market was a perfect example of, of things cacophony society, you know, still does. But, um, it's funny because I think, you know, when I hear it again, I think of two layers, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm a, you know, I'm a member of LA cacophony society Mm -hmm. and I'm an elected official on my LA city council, neighborhood council. Love it. And oh. th- there's nothing more subversive mm-hmm. than becoming part of the governing body, <laughs> understanding their systems, right? Because it's the same, you know, making public art. So much of it is like knowing the permits. Yep. You know, and knowing the, you know, engineering and all of these things that are, you know, that are really foreign. You know, if you don't, if you don't know this stuff, there's no way you can make public artwork if you can't, or hire somebody to navigate the, mm-hmm. the bureaucracy of, of engineering and permits. They're these two you know, black holes for people that they're horrified by. Yeah. And that's, that's the street signs I, I invented specifically for that because the street signs, since they're built to Department of Transportation's spec, that means that the engineering is already on file for them. So yep. if we're going to build a giant duck in the middle of Griffith Park, it's going to be <laughs> bogged down for years, yeah. making sure it's not going to fall over or a kid's not going to walk up and put their hand on it, get a splinter. Like mm-hmm. there's all of these things. But if I make a street sign, it's to Department of Transportation spec. They already know it's not going to fall over. Yeah. They already know it's not going to rust. They already know all that stuff. So it totally sidelines all of the, you know, permanent engineering process. But that puts you on the inside. Yeah you know, you get on the inside of the system and you start working with their rules and their rules are there for a reason, you know, and if they need to be changed, you need to be on the inside to change them anyway. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I think I I'm a, I'm a strong believer in both. I'm a strong believer in cacophony and, uh, government
0: and and. and being
1: on both sides. Yes. And how can we build on this? And yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: Oh my goodness. This conversation went all kinds of amazing (laughs) places that I did not expect. I haven't actually had a chance to sit down and talk with you yet. Like I've always just kind of met you here and there and been like, I Mm -hmm. need to hang out with that guy. And then it never happened. Well, we met at Coachella we met at Coachella that's right that's yes. right we met with uh, James and
1: Peterson on uh, James Peterson's, Peterson's piece. piece
0: yes that's right oh the choir that's yeah. yes yes that, the hippos weren't there that year though. Yeah. I, no. they
1: were there that year or the next year I can't remember the next remember. year yeah. yeah oh
0: my goodness oh my goodness that's so funny because I I always would just see you and be like yes I know you but I don't really <laughs> know you so I'm really really excited that you know we did it in this kind of public kind of way but is, hopefully we'll get to do it over a beer at Barbara's I love it I would love that so much wow awesome. thank you so much so much i really appreciate it thanks oh. for having
1: me it was um, really fun
0: <laughs> good i'm glad that's the way it's supposed to be thank you so much for listening next week we will be talking with andrew walsh the playbarian he got his name teaching adults to play which is not easy during lockdown he got bored so what does a playbarian do when he gets bored He found a bunch of old fairy tales and folktales from Lancashire and he put them into a book that will be coming out in September and you will hear about all of his exploits. Very exciting. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and review if you would like to make sure that playgrounding is accessible to all of those other playgroundlings out there who need to find us. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next week.